Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good evening, I'm Chua Tiantian with your Market View. Now, private equity firms have enjoyed their most active year in history with over 1.2 trillion US dollars in deals announced last year. Now, fast forward to 2022, macroeconomic and geopolitical uncertainties have created headwinds for new transactions. Deals announced in the first quarter of this year are valued at 221 billion US dollars, a 27% drop from the same period a year ago. Still, analysts say the slowing of market activity is unsurprising given the breakneck pace which deals were announced last year. They say that the PE scene remains robust. So, what are the opportunities and trends that lie ahead? How should fund managers navigate the ongoing uncertainties? And how should we take advantage of this situation? For more, we are joined by Luke Pius, Asia-Pacific Private Equity Leader at EY. Hi, Mr. Pius. Hi, Tintin. Hi, great to have you on our show, Mr. Pius. Now, Mr. Pius, we've briefly mentioned this in our introduction, but take us through how has the global private equity landscape changed within the past year and what are some of the biggest trends that you're seeing right now? Uh, so thanks for having me on, Tintin. Mm. Uh, I think you framed it quite well. So, so I think 2021 was probably one of the best years in history for private equity, uh, mm. where about $1.2 trillion was invested globally. And if you look at what kind of fuel that, you can actually look at it two aspects. So one is, of course, the supply side, where there was a lot of money, and, and there still is a lot of money, frankly, in private equity hands. I think the latest number I read was about $1.4 trillion. I think the other motivation was that, you know, when you go back to the global financial crisis, I think private equity was largely underprepared to capitalize on mm. rebound. And then they were, they were quite determined to make sure that that didn't happen this time, right? So so that was the supply side. I mean, on the demand side, uh, I think we see a lot of corporates shifting their focus and focusing on core. So there's divestment mm. of non-core assets. I think there's a lot of focus on balance sheet. Mm. And uh, uh, the secondary market for private equities has increased, right? But the, one of the biggest sectoral drivers in 2021 was tech. I mean, tech mm. was the big game changer of COVID. I think tech has has uh, been a massive driver. Now, you know, naturally, coming off that year, there's been a drop in the first quarter. The geopolitics and the uncertainty globally has not helped. But I think one of the other key aspects that that throws out is that today, private equity is also very, very focused on their own portfolio mm. and uh, how they actually manage value, protect value, and drive value in the portfolio. Mm. Would you be able to elaborate a little bit more as to how they are protecting their own portfolio in what sense? When you kind of unpack that topic on mm. value creation, there's, there's probably various aspects to it. I mean, uh, firstly, you know, if you, if you take the revenue side, mm. there is a certain thesis with which private equity invests. I mean, the benefit of having a P in the cap table is that the, the companies are financially strong and, mm. and they have a good reputation. And, and therefore, you know, you have the ability to go out and acquire revenues. You have the ability to look at pricing as another lever. So in this environment where it's volatile, pricing becomes quite an important factor. I think mm. managing cost is a big issue and and I think supply chain is a particular area of focus because supply chains have been disrupted right across the world. So supply chain is an issue. People has, have a, has also become a big issue and managing talent to the organization. And then lastly, what I would say is clearly mm. uh, balance sheet. There's a lot of focus on liquidity on the balance sheet. Mm. Uh, but then if you think about the, the trigger point of the pandemic, right, which was how companies went digital, I think that is more of a long-term trend where mm. every board and every company is looking at how to transform themselves digitally. And, and I think that's a longer term journey. Mm. And alongside that topic of ESG, right, which which is now it's firmly rooted, I would say, in the minds of most CEOs and, and, and most boards. And that is a big topic as well. 
Mm, and Mr. Pius, I understand we talked about global developments just now. We talked about ESG. I also understand regulatory and tax changes are also weighing on PE firms. Would you be able to share a little bit on that front? Yes, that is a good question. And it's, it's, it's another important area because mm-hmm. especially when you look at uh, through the pandemic, I mean, every government spent a lot of money. The revenues were, were lower, obviously, and clearly a lot of governments had to borrow a lot to, to, to fund some of the programs, right? So, so there is a tremendous focus by governments on, on revenue. And, and there's this big project that's been going on now for the last few years. It's called BEPS, which mm-hmm. basically looks at, in, in summary, what it looks at is ensuring that revenues and profits, uh, actually profits, you can say, right, are taxed in the place where they're actually earned. So, so revenues mm-hmm. are located and taxed in the, in the place where it's earned and, and costs are located in, uh, and taxed in the place where they earn. So, so, so there's a lot of focus on that topic. I think the other side of BEPS, which is now what they're calling Pillar 2, mm. is basically where there's a talk about a global minimum tax. Mm. And uh, uh, that basically ensures that corporations cannot, you know, park revenues in, in, in low tax jurisdictions and cost in high tax, uh, tax jurisdictions. So mm. tax is a big, big topic, you know. But in addition to that, what I would say is, I mean, if you think about the top of mind issues for for P's in relation to their portfolio, right? I think mm-hmm. it also goes back to some of these these macroeconomic disruptions. So, so we talked about supply chain, the follow-on effects of the sanctions, uh, things like that. And, and now there's a big discussion on interest rates, right? Because interest rates, I think, after a long period of very low interest rates, uh, uh, we are starting to see that increase. And I think the expectation is at least for the next four to five quarters, it'll be an increasing trend. However, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if economies start tipping into recession, how the central banks react? Because in that situation, they can't keep increasing the rates, so we will have to see some moderation. So there is quite a lot of volatility. I mean, the only point I would add is, the silver lining, I would say, is whenever there is volatility, it means there's a lot of available transactions, and therefore it's also a great opportunity for private equity to deploy capital. Hmm. And on that note, Mr. Pius, you mentioned about those tax changes. How is it likely to affect returns on PE investments and also returns for PE firms? I would say that in the last few years, we've already got into a period of hmm. more moderated PE returns. I mean, again, when you look at private equity as an asset class compared to all the other asset classes out there, hmm. uh, private equity clearly stands out as one of the highest returning asset classes. Hmm. So net, net, that is why they've been able to attract a lot of capital. But I think because... Uh, there's been so much capital accumulation in the last few years. There's also been a fair degree of competition for assets. So, so valuations have gone up. They're relying a lot more on the value creation thesis to generate the return, right? So, mm. so there's an acceptance that returns have, uh, you know, will moderate and have moderated over the last few years. Mm, okay. And on the note of opportunities, which you mentioned briefly earlier, I want to further deep dive into that to take a look at Asia Pacific and ASEAN. So where are the opportunities for PE investors in APEC and ASEAN specifically? I think yeah, that's a good segue into the into the region, and, mm. and uh, I would say firstly, globally, if you look at uh, uh, the opportunities set for private equity, right? The I think one of the big thematics of of the last year or two, and I think this is going to continue for the next few quarters, as large conglomerates and corporates focus on their core, there's a huge number of spinouts that are happening globally, and and this could be regional spinouts, division spinouts, uh, spinouts of different businesses, etc. Right? So so that is true at the global level. It is also true. To an extent in the region, I mean, the, the markets where that is probably particularly relevant in APAC is uh, Japan and Korea. Mm. We've seen big transactions coming out of houses like Hitachi and Panasonic mm. and Toshiba, etc. But I think there's a huge pipeline of these deals that is yet to come out. So, so that's going to be a big topic in Japan, Korea. I think Australia is a very active buyout market. Mm. Uh, I mean, one of the big deals that is going on right now is is the Ramsey acquisition, right? Which is which is still mm. in process. That's a thirty billion dollar transaction. So, uh, so Australia is attractive. I think India 
you know, it's attractive across many different aspects. But I think the biggest, one of the biggest sector plays in India has been technology. Mm. I mean, it's been a massive, massive uh, area for tech investment. ASEAN is quite interesting because ASEAN is very diverse. So, so you have developed markets like Singapore and, and Malaysia. You have very nice emerging market, uh, developing markets like Indonesia, Vietnam. Mm. Uh, and and uh, uh, each, each one of these offers a slightly different uh, opportunity set. Technology is quite mm. a prevalent theme as well. The market, the only market I would say in, in in this region that's been a bit harder and slower is actually, uh, and that's for private equity, is actually China. Mm-hmm. So China, I think it's a combination of, I guess, you know, the COVID has had a pretty significant impact in the last two quarters, three quarters. And then uh, you also have the geopolitics playing out, right? So I think that has resulted in a little bit of a slowdown in China. But, but otherwise, I would say it's a, very active region and I think we, we did touch upon the thematics right mm-hmm. so digital focus on core mm-hmm. realignment of a global of the global mm-hmm. supply chain will actually benefit Southeast Asia a lot mm-hmm. and then the, mm-hmm. the long-term topic in Southeast Asia is the rising middle class so you're talking about service sectors like quality healthcare education experiences mm-hmm. food etc so it is it is a very, very nice region for private equity. Mm, certainly. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Luke Pyers, Asia-Pacific private equity leader at EY. Now, Mr. Pyers, I do understand that PE firms, they are announcing fewer exits, or in other words, they are not cashing out as much, selling the startups or taking them public in the first quarter of this year. Why is that so? Uh, if you look at the exit um, modes for private equity, and, and you're quite right, uh, I think the, the average hold period, it has kind of gone up actually over the last few years, and then certainly COVID has kind of extended that uh, by 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 at least a year, a year, a year or two. There, there was an expectation that 22 would be a very active year, but mm. you know we kind of got into the first quarter, and there was there was a lot of geopolitics that played out. So so that's been a dampener. I think I think if we think about buyers of private equity assets, uh, you know there's there's probably three or four methods that they exit, right? So one is a sale to corporates, and that's quite mm. prevalent actually in Southeast Asia. Uh, there's yeah, there's IPOs, which frankly China China is a very IPO exit market. Mm. Uh, there's SPACs, which was is probably a subset of IPOs, but probably more tech related. And uh, then of course there's a there's an emerging secondary market where a second private equity fund will buy it off the first private equity fund and and take the business forward mm-hmm. for the next four five years, right? And I would say of the of the of these four large routes, the the last one, which is the secondaries market, is still quite open and active. And I think it'll almost kind of gain some share from the other three because Corporates are being conservative now. Mm. And as you know, the, the uh, SPAC market has come down and cooled off quite a bit with tech valuations. IPOs also, markets are fairly flat, right? So we expect secondary transactions to probably be a, a big driver. And, and I think many of the PEs are looking at this other concept called continuation fund, where mm. they bring in a new set of investors, but carry the asset for a longer period of time so that they can still continue to realize value on those assets. Mr. Pius, just very quickly before we go, you also mentioned some developments on the cryptocurrency front. So what are those developments and how has that affected PE firms? Well, crypto, I think it's it's going through an interesting time at the mm. moment, right? I would say that uh, every asset class, you know, to, to test their metal, they do need to go through a period of uh, adversity and volatility. And crypto, I think it's the turn of crypto to go through that at the moment. Uh, what I would say is probably a couple of things, right? So mm. one is, uh, private equity actually does not have a significant exposure to crypto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we were tracking uh, funds raised over the last five years. I think uh, there was about 120 billion raised in 67 funds and and probably some part of that has been deployed, right? But that is a very small amount compared to the total AUM of P. Now, that's a different story for venture capital. So, so you know, when you look at the venture capital investment over the last few quarters, and it's actually accelerating at the moment, mm-hmm. you've got these new hot topics, which is, you know, Web3, Metaverse, 
And crypto is a very core part of that, right? Crypto and blockchain. Mm-hmm. So I would say we see that part accelerating. And uh, I think that's going to stay for a, for a period of time. Mm. I think the other key point about crypto is, you know, the, there's also a, a tax and regulatory angle to this. Because, you know, as if you think about currency, if it's a, you're talking about medium of exchange and store of value, the moment it becomes mm-hmm. a medium of exchange, I think governments are quite closely mm-hmm. watching to see how to regulate and how to tax. So, so it's a space to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going through a correction, but I think it should come out okay at the other end. Mm, definitely. Thank you very much, Mr. Pius. That was Luke Pius, Asia-Pacific Private Equity Leader at EY. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.